Well, how you like this cool weather we had? Uh, it's nice. I found a way to get my wife to snuggle with me a little more as I open the window at night. And don't put that big blanket on and I'm all that's left, so. <laughs> Praise the Lord. It's sure good to see you today. Uh, on, on a serious note, you know, there are so many wonderful churches in our town. And uh, we're just honored that you're here. And my prayer, I talked to several pastor friends this week. I said, you know, our greatest ambition when the people gather is that people sense the presence of the Lord. Yeah. That we are not endeavoring to build a building, a ministry, uh, an event to entertain people or for people. But if we'll build a place, a habitation where God feels welcome. You know, the Bible says, well, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in our midst. It's not mystical, it's not weird, it's not spooky, but there should be an expectation that God would be near us. We're going to talk more about that, the idea of the presence of the Lord in modern life in one of these upcoming messages. But I started a series last week called Let the Worshippers Arise. My worship experience began in a country Methodist church, five pews on each side. And uh, when it came time to sing songs, we called it a song service. Uh, when it came time to sing songs, we'd raise our hand and Miss Green would play the song on the piano. And, and, and it was a wonderful experience. We felt since the presence of the Lord. But I've learned a lot of things about worship over the last 40 some years, and I'd like to share them with you. Uh, last week, we learned what worship is. This series is a series of questions. And worship, uh, we looked at it kind of from five angles. Worship is certainly the most common understanding is worship is, when, is how we express our love for God, our thanks to God, whether it's in clapping or lifting our hands or singing or kneeling. But the second thing we learn is that, more importantly, worship is more than singing. But worship is the way we live our life. Uh, I hope that stuck with you, that when I, when I obey the commands of Jesus in the community, on my job, and the way that I treat my family, in what I do with my time and my resources, it can be a life of worship lived to God. Third thing we learned, arguably the most important, is worship is not for us, but worship is simply a means to declare that He is worthy. Remember last week we talked about his worship and about how the angels in heaven are saying that right now, worthy is the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the world. So it's simply extolling the Lord. Then we had a bit of a warning to tell us that worship is more than rituals or routines. It's more than just outward actions or doing religious things. But worship stems from a, an attitude in our heart, a desire to worship him as our God. And lastly, we saw from Job's life that worship is a response to God when life is overwhelming. So today I want to continue, but I want to look at three historical accounts in the Bible. And notice that I didn't say three Bible stories, because when we say stories, we think of stories, you know, like uh, Mary had and a little lamb or, you know, the three bears, things that are made up. But how many know the Bible is not a made up book? The Bible is the most verifiable book of ancient antiquity. Uh, there are literally tens of thousands of either manuscripts or portions of manuscripts validating and supporting what we know as the New Testament. So I want you to look at the Bible as a history book, as things that happened to someone else that could happen to me. And the question I want to look at this morning is, what can happen when we worship? 
Is, is, worship, is worship just for me to say something to God? Or is it possible in worship God could do something for us? Our worship is our reaching out to God and the response, God has a response to us in worship that I think you'll find uh, very uh, uh, intriguing. First of all, we'll talk about how God will change our hearts in his presence. The next we'll talk about a possibility. We'll look at uh, Silas, Paul and Silas, and see that worship opened a door for miracles when they were chained in a prison. And lastly, we'll see uh, talk about worship in what we call spiritual warfare. We'll look at the ancient uh, 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 text about Jehoshaphat and see how they were fighting a literal enemy, but yet in the, as they began to worship and praise, God pushed their enemies back and defeated their enemies. So let's explore it today. Number two in the Let the Worshippers Arise. If you've got your Bible, go with me. Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, the first, as we answer the question, what can happen in worship, the first thing we want to talk about is that worship can change our heart. Now, the example I'm going to use is worship can turn our pride into humility. And how many know this is arguably the greatest lesson an individual can ever learn in life? And humility simply means I can't live without God. Humility simply is the recognition that I need God. But how many know even Christians and well-meaning people, how many know pride gets in the way? And we'll see how worshipers uh, emerge from a prideful heart that turned humble and worship emerged. But we'll see this as an example about how worship can change all aspects of our heart. So let's, uh, let's get into this. Daniel chapter 4, we're dealing with a man named King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, this man was living on uh, borrowed time, borrowed air, and food that somebody else gave him. Uh, he saw through eyes that he didn't create, and he heard through ears that he didn't uh, articulate. Uh, he, he lived uh, with everything that he had and did. You see, God had elevated this man to a position of great power. But he had no clue of it. He thought it was all about him. I think you'll pick this up. King Nebuchadnezzar, and then verse 29, was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace. Now, this was a very wealthy man. Uh, he was the king of Babylon. He was a monarch. He was a dictator. Um, you know, he was, he was this strong guy that God used to literally discipline and send his people into exile. But it might be like looking at a, a, a he was a superpower. Uh, for example, like communist China today, or we even think about Russia to some degree. His nation was a superpower in that part of the world. Well, he's on the roof, and he's looking at this city, the great city of Babylon that he'd built. And I want you to notice the personal pronouns. He said, "By I built this city by my own mighty power. I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. I mean, he reminds you of that guy that, you know, caught the football and then went in the end zone and did a chicken dance and, you know, told the whole world to look at me. Or, or he reminds you of the, the politician that gets in the limo that thinks as he leads, lends his scepter towards us, even in a democratic society, that we're supposed to bow down to him. But people of power that take credit for things that they shouldn't take credit for. Pride had filled his heart. Uh, you remember the definition of worship that last week I showed you? Worship has a core definition and several ancillary definitions, but the core definition of worship is to bow down. 
Now, externally, that's why people kneel or bow down before the Lord. But it's more than external. It's an attitude of our heart. It's an attitude of humility. And Nebuchadnezzar had about that much of this bowing down idea. No place for God in his heart. He thought everything he'd done was because of himself. Look at verse 31, though. God's watching. <laughs> Can you tell your neighbor, God's always watching? Yeah, he's always watching. And while these words were still in this man's mouth, a voice came down from heaven. Now, that'll get your attention. A voice came down from heaven and said, Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, you're no longer ruler of this kingdom. In other words, I am God Almighty. I put one up and I put one down. Uh, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, Scripture says, and God turns it wheresoever he will. And, buddy, I'm about to bring you down because of your pride. God says, you're no longer ruler. You're going to be driven from human society. You'll live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow. Now, what you think about this guy, God basically said, if you've ever seen a misfortunate person who happened to be homeless who had long hair, it is not groomed hair like yours is today. He didn't get a nice haircut and didn't put little fancy gel in his hair and all that. He's got long stringy hair that's matted together and it's probably got some stickers in it or something like that. I mean, this is the time of the year if you walk through the tall grass or if your dog goes out there, they're getting little stickers on him. Well, that's the why this guy was going to look. And God said, this is going to happen, this judgment or discipline for your pride until you learn that the Most High, this is God, rules over the kingdom of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. In verse 33, it happened. That same hour, judgment was fulfilled. And I want to suggest to you, even a Christian, this man was not a believer, but even a Christian, if we are eaten with pride, how many know God can humble us as well? God can remove his hand of blessing. It's called discipline. But uh, Scripture says that same hour judgment was fulfilled. He ate grass like a cow. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers. And his nails were like bird's claws. Now you probably keep your fingernails groomed. You don't want any cooties under there. Uh, I happen to work in the dirt, and mine get dirty all the time, so I got to take care of them. But this guy, they just curled around his finger. He, 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 he epitomizes a man that's in great need. But notice what it said, verse 34, the mercy of God. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked to heaven. Now we see the concept of humility begin, come into place. Pride says, I'm the man. Humility says, God's the man. Well, he looked up to heaven, and the Bible says his sanity returned. We'll come back to that. But notice what was the first thing he did when he looked up to heaven. I praised and worshiped God. Now, I want you to see how worship is connected to our hearts. And when our heart attitudes are one of, of pride or ingratitude or selfishness, that God is able to turn our hearts and worship plays an integral role in it. I praise and worship the Most High. I honored the one who lives forever. All the people of the earth, all of us are, are nothing. All of us are nothing. Mr. Biden, Mr. Trump, uh, the Supreme Court justices, all of us are nothing. The person that lives on the street, the person that lives in Arkansas, the person in... All of us are nothing, no matter how powerful we are in this world. That's one of the great lessons of life. God does as he pleases. 
Verse 37, now he says this boldly, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, glorify, and honor the king of heaven. That's the language of worship. That's what we spontaneously did just a few moments ago before I preached. When I said, just lift your hands and say, you are worthy. See, this is what we were doing. God, we're praising and glorifying God. All his acts are just and true, and he's able to humble the proud. Now, let's see this just a second. Before God humbled Nebuchadnezzar, proud and selfish. And how many know one of the great dangers of success is pride? If you have the, the, if you're blessed in America today to have a great job, make a lot of money, have a nice home, to be in a position of influence, to be a great baseball coach, to be a, a, a teacher at the class everybody wants to be in your class, if you rise to the top and if you rise up there without God or if you leave God behind, how many know pride gets in and the more, the more pride we have, the less we worship. Wow. Wow. And the more humility we have, the more we worship. See, this is a converse relationship. Humility, uh, by definition, simply means that God is the source of all we have. God is the source of all we can do. If you're a high school quarterback and you're going to be all state this year, you know who your source is? Listen, it's not the muscle milk you drink. It's not your coach that's helping you and thank God for the coach and thank God for protein powder But it's the one who gave you those gifts and it's the one that kept you healthy through your life God is the source This is life's greatest lesson And I suggest to you it's even the reason that people will go to through the valley of the shadow of death To realize that I can't live without God and that statement is a statement of humility. Uh, the Bible says it this way in Acts 17, for it's in Jesus Christ we live and move and exist. And when we realize that, we become a true worshiper. And a true worshiper may not sing the loudest. They may not, they may not shout the loudest. They may not have the best voice. But a true worshiper is offering true worship because it comes from humility that recognizes that all I am and all I have is because of the goodness, come on, of God Almighty. Give him a big hand today. He is worthy. I, I want to look at a, a word just before we move on. Remember when it said, he said, my sanity returned and I praised and worshiped God? So, well, the definition of sanity, it's a psychological term. It's a legal term. It means the sound state of mind that's capable of exercising sound judgment and reason. Uh, attorneys call it capacity. Insanity, the flip side, an unsound mind. But could I make this statement? Uh, biblically proud people are insane. And humble people are sane. Now, you didn't see it on the football field yesterday if your team scored a touchdown or if your team hit a home run. I mean, you know, the muscle-bound guys are walking around and I can't do that too loud. Something might break. <laughs> you don't see it among the powerful in our society. You don't read it in their tweets. You don't read it in the articles that they write, and their words are almost come across as godlike. Listen, friend, something is different, though. Humility. This powerful man became humble, and then God promoted him again, but then he realized that all I am and all I have is from God. Listen, friends, I don't know about you, but the idea of worship means to bow down. 
It's not just kneeling on my knee, but it's the posture of my heart recognizing that God is the center and source of my life. And that's what I want to be, a true worshiper of God. Come on, give him a good hand. So, so this first part, God can change our heart, whether our heart is proud, uh, whether our attitudes are selfish, uh, our attitude is in, uh, we have an entitlement mentality. Uh, have you ever known or met anyone that, uh, oh, there was this Kevin Costner movie. Uh, uh, he was the, oh, shoot, what was it called? I can't remember. Anyway, he, he, he's, it's, a, it's a baseball kind of movie. And uh, no, it's, I can't even remember it anymore. This is bad. It's not for the love of the game, but it's the one. Field, no, it's not Field of Dreams. That's a new age movie. Who would watch that? What was that movie? It's a football movie. Kevin Costner, and he's, he's the general manager. For, it's not oh, for, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. for the love of the game. No, it's not for the love of the game. We're wasting time now. But anyway, when the, when the owner, this is what happens when I go off note. When, when, when the owner of the team walks into Radio City, it's about football, and you know, it's, it's, it's the day of the, you know, where the, they, they sign people up. Yeah. Draft day. Huh? Draft Draft day. <laughs> Took four or five hundred people to figure out a movie. That's, we've really, really done something today. Anyway, when the owner comes into radio, you know, Music City, and they're having, a, I mean, there's just cameras everywhere and people are everywhere. He walks in and he sees one of his, his, his low-level assistants there, and, and the assistant welcomes him, and he says, I'm not sitting here. And then he goes up to the, to the balcony, you know, where the commissioner's box is and, and tells the commissioner, I'm glad you've come to my little, uh, my little gathering today. I mean, he just embodied pride. Well, if you have an attitude, of an, he was entitled. If you have any attitude that you know is not pleasing to God, I'll tell you a real good way to get rid of it. And just say, Lord Jesus, I've got a problem with this. I've got a problem with feeling like everybody owes me or I should have the best or I should have this or it's all because of me. But I just want to say out loud today, it's all because of you. I tell you, friends, worship has the power to change our attitude. Okay, we're going to skip number two since we spent so much time on draft day. No, we're not. Acts chapter 16. I'm just going to go faster and I can do it. What can happen when we worship? Number two, worship can open the door for miracles. Now, this is worth listening to because you're going to get in a pickle one day and you're not going to be able to get out. You're going to be in a spot, even as a Christian, and you've done everything in your power and you're not sure how to get out of this thing and what to do. This is a possibility. Worship can open the door for a miracle. Now, I cannot guarantee you that this will happen every time in our lives when we have a problem. But what I will tell you, there's a historical account in the Bible of Paul and Silas who were in a desperate problem situation. And they were serving God and they worshiped God. And in response to the worship, God intervened with nothing short of a miracle. Uh, let's go. We're in the city of Philippi. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. Paul and Silas. Now, these are two men on a mission from God. They are establishing churches throughout Asia, Asia and Europe. They met a slave girl who had a spirit, a demon spirit that enabled her to tell the future. I am one that believes that the, what the Bible teaches, and they regularly dealt with demons in the Bible. 
today, modern psychology tells us that we are smarter than this. Psychiatry tells us we are smarter. There's no such thing as demons, and there's no such thing as God. All we have is what we can see. And it takes more faith to believe that than it does to believe that there is a creator that created the heavens and the earth and all its systems and keeps them in place and the intricacies of the human body. It takes more faith to believe there's no God. But there, the Bible teaches not only is there a God, but the devil is real and the devil has little assistance. They're called demons and uh, they go to inflict harm. Well, in this case, this spirit enabled this little girl to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. Verse 18, Paul wanted to help this girl get free, so he said to the demon within her, I bet this, was, this would go well on Sunday morning, wouldn't it? He said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, not, not, not Paul, the TV evangelist, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and instantly it left her. Well, you would have thought that that would have been a great thing, but it wasn't because her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So here's what happened to these two dedicated Christian men that have simply been doing something good to help someone. Her master's hopes of wealth were shattered. They're dragged before the authorities. They're severely beaten. They're thrown in prison. The jailer puts them in the inner dungeon and clamps their feet in the stocks. Now, listen, that is not a nice place to be. That is worse than the prison of Alcatraz you saw on television, what it was like to be in the hole. It's worse than anything imaginable. I mean, there's creepy crawlers down there. There's disease. It smells like fecal matter. I mean, it stinks. People are sick, vomit. I mean, it's a horrible place to be. And I want you to pause just a minute and imagine how they felt. Here they are. They've been serving the Lord with all their heart. They help this girl get free, and now they're punished. But here's the big thing. God didn't stop it. And, and this is the challenge. It's easy to praise the Lord when everything's great. It's easy to praise the Lord when, you know, life is wonderful. But sometimes life's not so wonderful. Sometimes things happen to us that make us ask the question, where is God? But what I want you to see in this is an enviable quality. They didn't get bitter. They didn't get mad at God. They didn't curse God. They didn't give up on God. They didn't quit. But notice what they did. Verse 25, around midnight, midnight not only 12, but the darkest hour, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. It wasn't a Sunday morning at 11 o'clock with the air conditioner going and you know, smiling and having a good time. Stopped at the coffee bar and got a little muco moco lotto, whatever you drink. They're in the inner prison and they're praising God. Let me, let me, before I get into this main point, worship has the capacity to help us feel secure in a crisis. Worship helps us feel better about the difficulty we're going through in life. If you're about to go have surgery and it's about time for lights out, you're not quoting John Lennon. You're not, you're not singing your favorite rock song. You're quoting Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for God is with me. See, there's something about a worship has the capacity to help us feel okay, just like a little child running to mom or dad in the storm. 
But notice what happened here, verse 26. Now they're singing at midnight, they're in jail. Suddenly, a massive earthquake and the prison doors immediately fly open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Now we've been taught to think in, as the, in the secular mindset that there must be something wrong with that lock uh, that was affected by the seismic activity no, it had nothing to do with it. It was perhaps an angel, perhaps just the spoken word of God, but a miracle happened in that very moment. And I want you to see it happened as they were singing hymns to God. Uh, their chains fell off. The jailer called for lights. He fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And this jailer said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, the message in this particular passage is the worship, their worship opened a door for a miracle. Their worship, it was like an invitation for God to come down. You know, there's sounds we make in our everyday life that have an attractive quality to them. How many know when, you know, uh, uh, I watched your kids, Travis, come in and, and, and your youngest daughter, um, uh, what's her name, Destiny? Trinity. Trinity's running down the hall and Gabe is down the hall and she's saying, Gabe, Gabe. And that sound ringed in Gabe's ears and he just ran and embraced his little sister. <laughs> Uh, if you're an outdoors person, if, you, if you've ever fed, anybody ever fed catfish with fish food? And you know when it hits the water, it only takes a minute or so if you're consistent with it. And those fish have heard a sound and they run to it. Uh, I feed my dog in a little, uh, in a metal dog bowl and I feed him two cups and I kind of drop that in and it makes this sound on that metal when it hits it and his ears perks up and he runs to the feed. There's a sound that causes action. When a mother and her infant daughter, our, our little granddaughter Mia is, is bumping three months, but I know that first month when that little girl was just, you know, skin and bone and long legs, and she'd come home and it was their first baby, every time that baby would make a noise in the middle of the night, mom would attune to the noise. So there's, there's noises, there's sounds that causes a reaction. And can I suggest to you the Bible teaches that God responds to praise and worship? Praise and worship is the sound that God hears, that it gets his attention. And, 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 and Paul and Silas, now let me say a couple things. Why did this happen to them? Well, perhaps they were on a mission, because they were on a mission from God, they were valuable for what God was doing. And I found in my experience is that the more you are in the middle of the will of God, doing the work of God, the more apt God is to help you. But the more you're just going doing your own thing and crying out for God in a crisis, the less apt he may be to come in. So they were, they were two men on a mission from God uh, when God intervened. Uh, somebody asked me recently, uh, you know, our, our church is, is doing real well financially. God has just blessed us. With this Africa missionary we just added, I heard, uh, I heard uh, um, uh, a, a pastor friend of mine talking about feeding people uh, in a garbage dump. And, and I asked him, how much does it cost? And he said, 350 for a weekend. We do it two, two times. I said, well, let us do the other two times. And then there's another church. Uh, it's an apostle in India. And in the, 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 his church is in the, the largest city. By the, by the, it's the doorway to the largest or most unreached people groups in that part of the world. And he's moving to another church building. Needed, I think, like twelve, fifteen, seventeen thousand $17,000. And something inside me said, well, we need to send that man money. So I'm going through my little circles of accountability. And we'll try to get him some money. It, I, I think God is trusting us 
Because we're not just using stuff for us to make it bigger and better and more, but we're advancing his kingdom. We're reaching people around the world. We're, we're, we're doing something. Uh, uh, and it's going to make a difference. Something else that's cool. Uh, I, I've been working with a, a group uh, uh, that, that ministers in the underground church, the Muslim church in Pakistan and that part of the world. And I said, look, we've got about $10,000 that uh, we want to send some Bibles to. The youth just raised $1,900 to send Bibles somewhere around the world. So, so whenever, whenever they tell me where, where that place is, we're going to send money. And then it's going to be in people on the ground that have never had a Bible before. So what's my point in all this? If you're on a mission from God, God is more apt to send the miracle to help you in your time of need. But the second thing I want to say is they offered their worship in their darkest hour. And they offered what I'm going to call the sacrifice of praise. Do you remember the book of Hebrews 13, 15? It says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So, you know, when things are going great, I said last night, I just got me this, uh, what color was my old jacket last night? A teal colored jacket I'd picked up at the latest Dillard sale, and I was praising the Lord. I really liked it. Got me a new little cute little shirt to go with it too. And how many know when life goes well, you praise the Lord? But when life doesn't go so well, we're gloomy Gus. When life goes, I don't know where God is. That preacher, he didn't know what he was talking about the other day. And we get depressed. We feel like quitting. I'm going to show God. I ain't going to church today. Sitting at home watching the live stream, arms crossed. We're glad you're watching, though. I'm just serious. Let's tell all our live stream viewers we love you. Come on, one, two, three. We love you. But, but when life doesn't do good, like Paul and Silas in jail, they offer the sacrifice of praise at midnight, and God answered their prayer. Now, listen, I cannot guarantee you every time you worship God, God's going to send a miracle because then we'd just be using God and he would be just like a, I hate to say it, but like a spiritual prostitute. When I need something, I just sing a little bit and, and God answers. Worship's from the purity of our heart. Our prayers are that he would respond with a miracle. But even if he doesn't, come on, how many know he's worthy of our praise and we're going to praise him because he's worthy. Come on, give him a good, a good hand. Let me give you one more about what can happen in worship. Uh, and, and, and this one, I wish I had time to go through the whole chapter, is one of the most amazing chapters in the Bible. But worship can be a way of fighting spiritual warfare. How many realize we're in a battle today? Uh, you, you, don't, you don't have to look very far across America and know that America's in trouble. Our FBI is, has been sicked on parents that are simply standing up to school boards across America and say, we believe what you're teaching our children is wrong. These are not your children. They're the parents' children. I mean, our, our borders are lawless. Uh, our, our inflations, our economy has fallen apart, it seems like. I mean, there's just so much to be angry and mad about in America today. Violence on our streets, and we're paying criminals in cities. We're paying them not to kill people. True story, San Francisco, pay you $500 if you don't shoot anybody. 
They're also in San Francisco. Three more Walgreens just closed down because people were stealing so much. And now it's, it's uh, not a misdemeanor if it's under $900. So they closed the stores. America is in trouble. And can I tell you what I tend to do? I tend to look at the people that are in office and blame them. Now, they have a responsibility, but the Bible teaches us there's a, there can be a spirit operating behind the person. Listen to this. Spiritual warfare, Ephesians 6:12. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, say it with me, and authorities of the unseen world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. So I want to suggest to you that this passage in 2 Chronicles 20 offers us a spiritual parallel for us today. This passage, this passage is a literal passage about Israel at war. But for us, it can be an insight into the spiritual battle that we face and what worship does. But let's start it out. Uh, messengers came and told Jehoshaphat. Now, he was the good guy. He was the good king in Israel. He was the one that was preserving the godly people of his day. So he's very important to God. A vast army from Edom is marching against you. Now, I want you to make this applicable to you. Imagine something's about to has happened in your life or is about to happen in your life that you can't control. You're going to lose your job because of X, Y, Z. The doctors told you you have a disease. The lawyers told you there's no way out. But some impossible circumstance. Now look at verse 3. Jehoshaphat was terrified by the news. But notice what he did. He prayed and he said, Lord, we are, say it with me, powerless against this mighty army that's about to help us. We don't know what to do. We're looking to you for help. Now, remember what uh, the spirit that Nebuchadnezzar had? Look what I've done. Look what I can do. Look what I've built. His pride. Listen to the humble sound here. We don't know what to do. We're powerless. We're looking to help you. Uh, We're looking for you to help us. They had an army. They had the ability to fight. They had a castle, as it were, But they said, all of this is not enough. God is our answer. This is humility. Verse 14, here's something you can count on. God will always respond to us when we come to him in humility and and holiness. The Spirit of the Lord came on one of the men. It was a prophecy. And the prophecy was this, verse 15. This is what the Lord says. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow march out against them. You're not even going to need to fight. You stand still and watch the Lord's victory. Now, I want you to give me a shout like they did at the football game when their team won yesterday. Come on. Ooh, that's loud. Don't you think that's kind of what they did when, when God spoke through the prophet? Okay, some of you do, some of you don't. That's all right. Uh, look at verse 18. Look what Jehoshaphat did. Jehoshaphat bowed low to the ground with his face to the ground. That's the definition of worship. All the people of Judah did the same thing, worshiping the Lord. And then the Levites who assisted the priests, they stood up to praise the Lord with a very loud voice. The king of... This is is one of the oddest verses in the whole Bible unless you understand why. The king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army. Now, how many know singers don't have bow and arrows? They have clarinets and they have guitars. Singers in front of the army. 
And they sang, give thanks to the Lord, his faithful love endures forever. Why did they do that? Because of the prophetic word that God gave them. And this worship is almost like this call, like when you call the fish. Uh, notice what it says, verse 22. At that very moment, or at the very moment, they began to sing and give praise. At the very moment worship rose, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. Wow. Now, I don't know how he did it, but somehow maybe one of the guys, you know, because they're from different places, maybe one of the guys said, man, you've got the biggest feet I've ever seen. And this guy's been sensitive. He's seven foot tall or whatever. He's been sensitive of his size 19 feet ever since he was a kid. And he looked over there and whacked the guy. And that's all it took. And before you know, I don't know what happened. But somehow, God caused the enemy to kill themselves and not the people of God. There's a picture that we found in the old Texarkana Gazette uh, 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 records. No. The singers are in front of the army on the left side. And their, work, and their total dependence is on God. And when they get down to the battle on the right side, the enemy is all dead. What just happened? God did something supernatural in response to worship. The lesson for us today is our praise and worship can be a weapon to fight spiritual battles. They faced overwhelming odds. They realized the enemy was stronger, and they made like, you know how you make brownies? You know how you put whatever you put in there, the sugar and the flour and the chocolate, the most important part, the chocolate, and then you put some walnuts in there and a little caramel on it. What they mixed together was faith and praise. They had obedience and holiness and faith and praise, and it became a weapon of warfare. You and I should find hope that when we face a battle, when we've done all we can to get on our knees and worship God, number one, because we're, we're asking for his deliverance, but number two, because he's worthy. Come on, give him a big hand today. He's worthy of praise. Let's, let's close with this. Um, there's another benefit of worship. This is a, a picture here. This, I think I got this off the Huffington Post, believe it or not. Uh, uh, people who, and this was a survey, and it was done by the Pew Research Center. People who attend worship people who attend worship services regularly are happier than others. You say, well, surely they did that in the Bible Belt. No, 26 nations of the world, and they found a common thread. The people, their style of worship was different, but the object of their worship, come on, people trying to worship God. Whether it's like I was as a little boy in that country Methodist church or whether it's like I am today in this facility. When people try to worship God, listen, friends, something happens. Something happens. The first thing we learned today, we learned from a man named Nehemiah that worship can change your heart. Worship can change your attitude about life. The second thing we learn from Paul and Silas is worship can open the door to a miracle. The third thing we learn from Jehoshaphat was worship can help, can, is a call to God to defeat the enemies that I'm fighting against. And this last thing the secular press just told us, worship just makes me a happier person. Come on now. Worship just makes life better. Just knowing 
that I got a God who cares for me. And I got a God who loves me. And if you're a cynic, you say, well, what if it's not all true? I have a great life, man. I have peace. I have a wife that loves me. One wife for 39 years. I got three great kids. I drive a pickup truck. I get to duck hunt and turkey hunt. Listen, I have a great life. If the Bible's not true and all this is a storybook, I have had a wonderful life. But if it is true, come on now. I got eternity to look forward to. And I believe the promises of God are yes and amen. Come on, stand to your feet with me today. We're going we're gonna to have a closing song of worship together today. But I want to do this as you're standing. Stay tuned with me now, just, just another, another moment now. Uh, I'm going to ask all of us just to worship in this last song. It's a very intimate song. You can pick it up, but it's, it's one that if you're comfortable, you can lift your hands or just close your eyes and sing. But it's a song where you can release worship to God. But I would also, during this time, I'd like to pray for people that are maybe like Paul and Silas, and you're in a crisis. If you're in this room today, you're in a crisis like those gales were, guys were locked up in that jail cell and you need God to do a miracle, I want to pray for you. Maybe you're like Jehoshaphat and it's a spiritual battle you're fighting and it's, it's stronger than you, it's bigger than you, and you don't know what to do but your eyes are on God. It's in this environment of worship, we'd like to pray for you if you need God to help you with something that's bigger than you. Would you just lift your hand so I can know who you are so we can pray for you? Now, look, lift your hand and just keep it lifted just a minute. And I want somebody to put your hand on their shoulder. Look all around you now. People asking for prayer. I want you to put your hand on their shoulder. Somebody put their hand on Donna's shoulder. Just lift your hand. You say, I want somebody to pray for me right now. You don't have to tell them anything. They're just going to pray. Look all around you. I see hands in the back, hands up front here. Just make sure if you want prayer, listen, this can be a miracle moment for you. We're going to believe God that as the people of God are worshiping, God is going to intervene on our behalf. Let's go ahead and worship Pastor Zach. And you that are with those brothers and sisters there, you pray for them right now. And let's believe God that God's going to help them in Jesus' name. I love you. Thank you for being here. I'm going to just close your eyes and reach out to heaven. I just want to sit here at your feet. Just tell him he's worthy. Caught up in this holy moment. And never want to leave. I'm going to just tell the Lord now. I want you. I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, you don't owe me anything. And more than anything that you can do, I just want you. I'm caught up in your prayer. 
wonderful being in his presence. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Peter, we're going to go ahead and have a baptism. You're going to seat just for a moment. We're going to celebrate with some people who have made decisions to follow Christ and want to declare that publicly. And if you've never done that, call the church. There needs to be a time where you publicly declare Jesus Christ as Lord. And, and uh, we're going to see who's getting baptized. And right when we're done, our altar team is going to come up. If you want prayer for anything, they'll pray with you and agree with you. Hallelujah. Please state your name and why you're being baptized today. Alicia Peters, and I'm being baptized for all my sins, and I'm giving it to Jesus. Amen. That's awesome. We're super proud of you, Felicia. Watch your step. Amen. Let's extend a hand towards her. Lord, right now we thank you for your daughter. We thank you that you love her, that you care about her. And right now we baptize her in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, be filled. Amen. Come on, church. Awesome. Please state your name while you're being baptized. Andrew Lawrence, God's been so good to me. This is my promise to follow him for the rest of my days. Amen. We're proud of you, bro. Lord, we thank you for Andrew. We thank you that you love him, that you care about him. Lord, right now we baptize him in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, be filled. Amen. That's awesome. All right, we got a special baptism. We got dad baptizing daughter. Please state your name and why you're being baptized. Oh, that's awesome. We're proud of you. Amen. Lord, we just thank you for your daughter. We thank you that you love her, that you care about her. Lord, we pray that you would bless her right now, and we baptize her in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, be filled. Amen. Come on, church. Amen. That's exciting. Before you go and as you leave, if you want to sign up for the School of Ministry or buy all their desserts for the mission trip and send them on a great trip, are you right with the Lord? I mean, think about that for a moment. I know you might be coming to church, and you play church pretty good. But if you were standing before Jesus and he said, why should I let you in? You got to say more than I go to church or I get baptized. It's because you have a personal relationship with him. You've asked him into your life. You publicly declared him as Lord of your life and your life has changed because of what's happened at that cross. And so before you go, if you're not sure where you spend eternity, if you've never asked Jesus into your life and, and begin to follow him with all your heart, then please come to that cross afterwards. We'll say a prayer, and you can know this day. You can drive a stake in the ground and know where you're going to spend eternity. And then that Father in heaven is really your Father, and you're his child, and he'll watch out, and he has a wonderful plan for you. He loves you. So let's stand to our feet. Our altar team's coming up. They'll pray with you. We're going to sing one more song. But come to that altar if you're not right with the Lord in any way at all, and we'll pray and get that right. And I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. And I never want to leave. No, I never want to leave home. And I'm not here for blessings. 
team is going to remain up front. If you need prayer for anything at all, we'd love to pray for you. Uh, we're going to stay here and worship a bit longer if you'd like to hang out with us. Uh, for everybody else, you can be dismissed at any time. And we just pray that you'd have a blessed day today. <laughs>